I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Thursday, April 6th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Okay, Jay, so for the fact of the day, $1.2 million is the pay raise that Loblaw's president, Galen Weston, got after consultants hired by his company. So he hired these people, and they told him that he was being underpaid. Jay, I think that's, not, that's an emotion that I think we get, that resonates with all of us. You know, if he's underpaid, then we must be really underpaid, right? I'll say, I just love the idea that someone who's in charge can hire a consultant to look at salaries and then decide that the person that's paying them is underpaid. It's really a strong assessment that he was underpaid for sure. Yeah, there must be some hack there. That must be like a profession that's on the rise. Consultants that do payroll consulting and they just look to see how much people are being paid and they help people get raises. There's probably a whole genre of consultants that I'm sure he's dealing with a different class of them, but I'm sure there's a whole genre of consultants that maybe we, you and I could use. Well, Brett, do you think he ever comes back? This consultant says, you know what, Galen Weston? We think you're overpaid. Yeah, you're overpaid. We'd like to scratch back about a million. Yeah, wow. You know, the thing about it is this is why the consultants are so strange. They don't have a lot of leverage in the situation because they'll just be hired, fired, and then he just won't bring it to the board. He runs the company. He owns the company. So anyways, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. It's a lot of money for Galen Weston Jr. on top of whatever else he's making in terms of compensation. So he's a rich man. Well, Brett, now that Galen Weston can afford groceries at Loblaw, what else do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, TD is getting shorted. For our second story, French shoring has its downsides. And for our last story, fast tracking doctors. For our first story, don't freak out. But global investors are staking a lot of money on one of Canada's biggest banks, hitting some seriously choppy waters. Brett, I'm a little bit freaking out with the story. What's the deal? So TD is currently, this is crazy, the most shorted bank in the world, with short sellers collectively holding $3.7 billion American position against Canada's second largest lender. Following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, banks have been a popular target for investors looking to short, which is betting a company's stock price will fall. But how did a relatively sturdy Canadian bank with no immediate liquidity issues become the bank du jour for short sellers? Well, there are a few contributing factors. For one, TD has heavy exposure to Canada's slowing housing market, potentially putting it on the hook for heavy losses. And to be fair, that's true for all Canadian banks, Brett. TD also has about a 10% stake in the U.S. brokerage Charles Schwab, which just had its worst performing month since 1987 due to concerns about unrealized bond losses. There's also TD's pending purchase of U.S. regional bank First Horizon, one of the many regional banks hit hard following SVB's collapse, which has become so contentious that some shareholders are calling on TD to renegotiate the deal or even scrap it entirely. I heard there's this big problem, Jay, that all these regional banks are named the same. There's First Republic, First Horizon, First and something. it confuses people. First something. But look, this all matters because we've been told Canada's banking system is largely insulated from the turmoil roiling the sector. But clearly, there are some fissures that investors feel that they can exploit. And bets are hitting. TD stock dropped like a skydiver in March, losing $18 billion Canadian in market capitalization and seeing the largest price dip in the S&P TSX Banks Index. But... To zoom out, this short selling spree doesn't mean investors think TD will fail, just that its share price is set to fall substantially, which would take a bite out of Canada's broader GDP. For our second story, to paraphrase the Beatles, we can always get by with a little help from our friends. I'm not going to sing it, but you get the, you know, the song. But maybe we shouldn't rely on them too much. Jay, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. They released a new report warning that growing trend of friend shoring in which countries shift trade away from geopolitical rivals to other economies with shared values could be a net negative for global economic security. 
So the IMF found that foreign direct investments are increasingly dictated by political alliance rather than geographic proximity as countries seek to secure supply chains. Friendshoring might be good for political security, but economically, being too clicky means putting all your eggs in one basket. When a country reduces its number of trade partners, it also reduces its diversification of risk, making it more susceptible to economic shocks. Now, in Canada, the government has been pro-friendshoring, with this year's budget explicitly stating that trading with other democracies is necessary to prevent economic extortion. Yeah, last year, Canada's finance minister said this, quote unquote, I think friendshoring is here and we should design our government procurement and incentive programs with it in mind. And this all matters because in a simulation exercise, the IMF found that a global shift towards more exclusionary economic blocks could cut global economic output by 2% in the long term. Developing economies will likely be hit the hardest by reduced access to foreign investment. For our third and final story, it will soon be easier than ever for Ontarians to find a doctor with a charming accent. Yeah, if you think Australian is charming, I guess. Driving the news, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, the CPSO, is letting U.S.-trained doctors skip exams and get right to work, and it's dropping supervision and assessment requirements for family doctors from the U.S., the U.K., Ireland, and Australia. The CPSO says training in these countries is similar to Canada's, making them well-suited for Canada's clinics. Alberta made a similar move earlier this year, and last month, Nova Scotia dropped the exam requirement for U.S.-trained doctors. And here's why it matters, Brett. There's a shortage of doctors. Nationwide, 6.5 million Canadians don't have access to a family physician, including about 2.2 million Ontarians. And meanwhile, 13,000 foreign-trained physicians in the province can't practice because of licensing requirements. The Ontario government has also promised legislation to let doctors from other provinces get to work as soon as they arrive, which they currently can't. Yes, but many doctors come from Saudi Arabia, India and Egypt and other countries. Advocacy groups question why the CPSO won't make it easier for them to start practicing also. Different pay structures might help too. BC, which has the lowest number of family doctor vacancies, compensate doctors for spending extra time on some patients. Now to zoom out. The doctor shortage is a global issue, Brett, with Canada competing against countries offering smoother paths to practice, signing bonuses, and housing benefits. Even cruise lines are showing up to global recruitment fairs to reel aboard some medical expertise. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. Thank you, Brett. Have a good day, Peak Pals. And if you started your day today with Matzabrai, Happy Passover. Hog some egg.